0: On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, Doctrine Divides. No, Doctrine Disciples. For some reason, Dustin and Ben lose a lot of friends over what we're about to say. And if any of you say that you can't lose your salvation, I'm going to take away your salvation. So be afraid. Be very afraid. It is episode <gasps> 63. Turn it up! I just love this. Slowed
1: down, Yeah, but I'm glad it slowed down a little bit.
0: Yeah. It's like, now It's retro. Yes, that's right. We've been doing this long enough that we can have callbacks. <laughs> what happened with that, though, was that people started to get stressed out with it when it was it was too fast. They were like, man, that was cool the first couple of times, but then it, it just started to give me like anxiety. It raised my heart rate. Like The old one was, you know, that was metal enough, right? Yeah.
1: I, I could see us like, you know, you're showing up to work, and you, you, instead of being fired up for the gospel... You're having heart
0: palpitations because of a theme song. I'm ready to flip over tables, crash through walls for the glory of God. Learn that from my pastor.
1: Maybe we should just reflect upon that.
0: (laughs) Okay, Yohanan. Enough with the inside (laughs) jokes. Episode 63 is dedicated to our new students in Brazil. Up top, Pastor Ben, bearded beaver, was down there with me in Fortaleza, Brazil. I went to uh, uh, Rio Bronco out in the west, out in the jungle. Of course it was I mean I wasn't like in the jungle it was a city that popped up and it, like so we were in the middle of the Amazon jungle but there then there's a city of 400,000 people and so it didn't feel like the jungle in that particular place but then you go outside of there and there is nothing but trees and loincloths and things like that. So um that's where I was and then I was there for a week and then I bounced over to Fortaleza and Pastor Ben met me there and uh we I don't know made some disciples. We did. Yeah. By the grace of God. Yeah, by the grace of God. (laughs) But that's why we took a couple of weeks off from the podcast, because, uh, you know, we weren't here, and we were hoping to record a bunch of uh, episodes beforehand so that we could release them on a regular schedule. Guess what didn't happen, folks? (laughs) That. So, anyway, we were like, yeah, well, you know, maybe, um, maybe it's a good time to just... Like, let that be the break between seasons, and then we can start season four. But we wanted to do one more episode in season three because we wanted to hit this particular subject. And then we got different stuff, new stuff planned for uh, season four. So to all of our new students in Brazil, these are, you know, pastors and other church leaders and things like that, we started up a couple of of, uh, Bible Institute locations where we're giving free, basically free seminary education, if I could oversimplify it, free seminary education, theological education to pastors and church leaders, and, uh, man, these guys were hungry, weren't they? Oh, gosh. It was crazy because, like, we were in a room where most of the pastors in there disagreed with us on some of these secondary issues. And secondary doesn't mean unimportant. It just means, you know, we can we can have these disagreements between brothers and still hold yeah. fellowship and take communion together. Yeah. But there were, there were serious, deep, and massive disagreements between our theological tradition and their theological tradition. Yeah. And we were just running them through how we see doctrine in the Bible— lacing together and they were like oh yeah i could see that like the humility was really surprising to me i think one of the interesting things too is is
1: as you and i would lay down you know what we would just essentially say these are essential doctrines of soteriology right you know and then to have people respond to them as if we were preaching like this glorious
0: message right know, like, when we the, the, got the, into the essentials of like justification yeah, and stuff yeah you
1: start and then all of a sudden they're responding like with amens and lifted up hands and i'm like wow right. we're we're i mean to see them respond to good doctrine Mm -hmm. it was that was pretty impressive
0: yeah and i i see that a lot in because okay so i've been i've been doing this 10 years now and it's funny because i see that a lot in the villages and in the isolated areas and in the deserts and the slums i don't see that a lot in big cities normally big city people have been exposed to some stuff they're a little more um you know, I guess you would say area day. They can read a book once in a while because they can mm-hmm. get their hands yep. on it and things like that. And so because of that, they're doctrinally a little more calm. But these guys were in a big city. I mean, Fortaleza is the size of Chicago. And, you know, they, they still had that level of excitement in response to the the basic gospel, which I thought was really fun.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So we love you guys. And by the way, a couple, we got a couple of new listeners in Brazil now because uh, some of the folks that spoke English, some of my interpreters in Rio Bronco and stuff like that, um, they were like, you have a podcast. Let me hear it. And I'm like, I don't want you to because you're going to lose all respect for me. And right now we're friends and I'd rather keep it that way. And they were like, give me, give me, give me. So I sent hungry for wisdom over to him. (laughs) Well, and what happened with one of my guys, he asked a question that we had discussed at length on an episode. So I, I was like, okay, I'll send you the episode and so we got some new listeners in brazil so uh you know for all the and these guys are like 18 20 years old you know something like that so for all the disciples that were forming in brazil i'm sorry (laughs) i just just want to say that let me see if i can give you some wisdom whoops it's been a while chops are rusty here we go let me see if i can give you some wisdom Proverbs 4, 18-19 But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Alright, sin is always irrational. Every time, always. The old theologians used to talk like this. Uh, This was a statement that goes back a few hundred years. And they would talk about how sin never makes sense which is not the way we normally think of it. Normally, we're a little more optimistic about our motivations. We would say that sometimes we do the wrong things, but we do them with the best of intentions and you know, we make the wrong call or whatever. But these old theologians, they point out, rightly by the way, that sin is not a wrong call with good motives. It goes deeper than that. Sin is psychotic and it is consistently psychotic. So when we sin, and they they were talking about people that who know God's law, right? They're talking about, Christians in the church. So I'm talking to you guys here. When we sin, we are ignoring the one that we acknowledge has our best interest in mind in order to achieve our best interest. We're ignoring God in order to pursue the shalom that he offers. We are lowering ourselves to subhuman behavior in order to enhance our human experience through whatever this sinful action is. So this is illogical not to be too casual about it but it's stupid and that's why i'm always saying sin makes you stupid is because you have to engage in a spiritually illogical process just to participate like the entry bar into sinful activity is i'm going to suspend my reason and and what i know to be true but it's so natural to us because we are naturally spiritually dead and stupid so how we would ever expect this kind of thing and like this kind of um reasoning this kind of thinking to result in greater wisdom success or blessing is beyond me but you know i'm a human and i participate in it too but we should never expect it to end well and it doesn't so in proverbs 4 solomon lays out kind of poetically he he guides us towards the alternative verse 18 but the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day so you can see this growth, right? Brighter and brighter. There's a progression. There's a, a greater and a greater glory, an emitting of light, a, a greater understanding, a theological, um, sorry, I misread my own scrawling there, a, a teleological purpose, right? Teleology refers to the fact that, that things move towards a purpose when they are created with a design. And so your existence and your life takes on a teleological purpose, it, it, it points somewhere, it. Goes to something, it accomplishes something. There's a reason for life, in other words, when we go down the path that is progressively revealed to us through the wisdom of God. But now, by contrast, verse 19, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So there's kind of a Hebrew word image here. You you could translate this as they do not know what they're stumbling over, or you could translate it more something like this that thing that they're stumbling over, they don't even know what that thing is. And so it's not like, oh, I tripped over the edge of a rug. It's like, oh, I tripped over something, but I can't tell what it is. So the the progression goes downward instead of upward. It's not greater and greater. It's darker and darker. They walk around in the dark. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what's around them. And then they trip over something they didn't expect to be there. And then they pick it up and feel it. And they can't figure out what that is. So now there's more layers of not knowing and of non-comprehension. So taken this way, the verse is describing absolute and progressive cluelessness. And so when he says, you know, that's what lies down the pathway of the wicked, confusion upon confusion upon confusion, then he's describing a process, much like Psalm 1, where he says, you know, the the wicked man, he says, don't stand in the path or don't walk in the way of sinners, stand in the path of, of, don't walk in the path of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. You've got walking to standing to sitting. It's kind of this downward Slowing down, devolution, sort of movement, word, picture, and he's saying the same thing here. You go down the path of the wicked, and you know that's that's essentially the the progression you can expect and the end that you can expect. Quick story about this: um, We work really closely with U Medical, which is the uh, crisis pregnant one of the crisis pregnancy centers in town here. Love those guys, and by the way, Christy, the director of U Medical, did a phenomenal interview here and so you can look back in season I think it was the last episode in season one or something like that first one in season two anyway uh yeah Christy Davenport uh laid out for us what they're doing to save babies and so we go down there and work closely with them sometimes they'll call me up and say hey we got this this young man in here or we've got this couple in here and they want to talk about spiritual things can you get down here and so I'll zip over there and you know see if we can lead somebody to Christ so one time there was this kid he was about 17 and he had two girls pregnant at the same time And he was asking for relationship counseling because they both they all carpooled to this appointment. Yeah. So they show up, they get their ultrasounds. And then there's these like counseling rooms where the the client advocates will sit with them and we'll talk and, you know, try and, you know, set things in order so that this baby is born into a safe situation. We'll try and lead him to Christ. We'll try and build a marriage or whatever, you know, a home. And so they're in they're in this room and they call me up and they're like, hey, uh, got one for you pastor of disaster and I'm like sure what's up and uh, they said this, this young man says that there's no peace in this relationship this three-way relationship and he wants some some relationship counseling and I'm like he sounds kind of dumb and they're like you wouldn't believe it <laughs> so I'm like okay so I get down there and I'm like so uh, what's what's up dude like what's going on and he's like I don't know why these girls can't just get along man and I'm like really and then he makes this statement to me he literally says to me I don't even know how this happened, dude. Like, I didn't want to be in this situation. I didn't sign up for this. And I'm like, I'm like doing that thing where I'm pinching the bridge of my nose and closing my eyes and just thinking like, just don't start swinging on him. You know, like I know you're 17. I know your frontal lobe isn't fully developed or whatever other excuse the scientists would give you. But you're, you know, and you're responsible for this. You do know how this happened. I can train a dog not to do what you did. What I do is I look at him and I say, no. And that's sufficient even for a dog. So I'm like, all right, how are we going to play this? So I get all three of them in the same room. And we're just like, all right, what happened here? Let's take me through the timeline of events. How'd you guys meet? How'd you guys meet? And so anyway, it, it was it was just a big mess. But you get one of them, one of them came to Christ. The other two did not. Um, one of the girls came to Christ. And it was just a messy situation. And now babies are being born into this situation, right? And so that confusion and that, that um, constant relational tension is going to continue. And it's not that Christ can't solve this. He can and... I hope that he will, especially for this, this one young lady. I hope he brings practical solutions into her life. And if she follows him, he certainly will. But there's going to be ripple effects of this for, you know, generations to come. And so that's kind of what it looks like. You walk down the path of the wicked, you engage in foolishness, and the problems just keep on coming. The hits keep on coming, and, and sin breaks things that you didn't even know could be broken. There's that old saying that you know sin takes you further than you want to go and keeps you longer than you want to stay. Yeah. That's exactly what it is, man. It's down the pathway of the wicked. So Solomon's like, yo, dog, choose righteousness. It's better for you. It always reminds me to think of,
1: of sin like almost like radioactive waste. It continually leaves a path and destruction yep. in its waste, right? And it's like you, it, it, it looks in, in many ways, it looks harmless. Or like I remember a village they discovered like some cobalt, like one twenty seven or something like that. You know, some highly radioactive material. This guy was like, cool, this glows and and all that, and he spread it around his family, and then all and, and they're like, oh, this is cool, this is a rock that glows. Yeah, they all died.
0: They all died. They all they got all cancer, died. and
1: their and their village, like a lot of their village, they died. You know, wow. it was it was yeah. like one of the biggest. You can look up YouTube things on it, but just, it's just like, that's what sin does.
0: Sin is this radioactive mess. And it's glowy on the front end, right? Yes. It's like, yeah, sin is pleasurable for a season. <clears throat> but man, all the
1: wreckage that it leaves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: and you, you can't predict it, you can't control it, and then when you figure it out, it's too late a lot of times. Yeah. Now, yeah. too late, other than the fact that we have a resurrected Christ who retroactively beats sin. Yes. But there are... There are ripple effects yeah. on the timeline in the world in which we live.
1: And he grants repentance, right? So that means you know, he says, hey, you, you you can repent. Right, right. <laughs> There's that beautiful godly sorrow that we could have.
0: And then know? he even walks us through, like, in, in repentance and after repentance, he even walks us through the collateral damage of our sin, and he doesn't abandon us to that. He's not like, well, you got to sleep in the bed you made for yourself. There is an element of that, but you don't have to do it without him, right? He, yeah. he even enters into... Are into the results of our sin he's just super nice he's yeah. just yeah. super nice and when and when he does that he gets glory mm-hmm. even though the situation is
1: can be still awkward mm-hmm. and yet because i mean i you know we've we both know couples who have who have you know probably didn't enter into marriage under the best of circumstances sure. and now they have a god glorifying christ exalting marriage
0: mm-hmm. and they got stuff they got to work through yeah and it's always difficult <clears throat> uh but it's not without christ and it's not yeah. without extreme beauty yeah. yeah. Redemption's cool. Amen. Redemption's cool. Now what we're going to talk about today is the permanence of said redemption. Yes, sir. Yeah. Now, uh the reason that we're doing an episode on this is because uh this actually came up in Brazil. Um we were teaching soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. And there are a lot of issues that Christians debate, you know, back and forth on soteriology. In other words, we all agree that God saves. We all agree that salvation is of the Lord, not of man, it's by faith, not by works. It's through it's it's by grace, it's through faith. And we agree on these things. And if anybody thinks that they can take credit for their own salvation, they're not a Christian. You might be a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or something like that, one of these spin-off cults of Christianity, but that's not actual Christianity. So we all agree on the 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 primary things within orthodox Christianity. Then there are those other things that that we disagree about for good reason. Like sometimes we speculate on it or the Bible is not entirely clear on it, or there's just so much information in the Bible that it's tough to know exactly how to put it together. And so we've got to organize the information in, in different ways. And we can kind of, you know, bat those around and bounce those off of each other. And so when we talk about what God does in salvation, we all agree on that. When we talk about how he goes about it, and what happens leading up to somebody's salvation and then what happens from the point of salvation on and how God goes about doing all of that, that's some really shadowy stuff. And there's some some things in there that are wonderful places for Christians to hold disagreements and tension. And that doesn't mean that it that it doesn't matter. Like somebody's right and somebody's wrong, or maybe everybody's wrong on some of these issues, but it's still a good thing to um, to hold somewhat loosely in some of these areas so like we've we've spent a couple of episodes uh, in the past talking about the issue of limited atonement because people have a lot of questions about that and that's an area where look if you disagree with our take on limited atonement or you know limited unlimited or definite atonement i mean we could even in the same camp they disagree on the terminology and if we disagree on that it's like okay like we we still love you man i think you're wrong and i'm right and i'm okay with that and if i thought i was wrong i would change my mind but that's not going to change the way i look at you that's not going to change the way we do evangelism or missions together or whatever and it's it's a secondary issue and i'll say this for like the third time in this episode already secondary does not mean unimportant it just means we can have that conversation in-house, in-family, and still leave with our relationship being intact and the mission being relatively unaffected. By we, can, it. we can drop the baseball bats. Yeah. Now, wiffle bats. Wiffle bats, yeah. Secondary issues deserve wiffle bats. <clears throat> I'm or, or those those padded uh, bonker things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Tertiary issues, not so much. You can yeah. You can arm wrestle and have some fun over tertiary issues. Yes. I don't know what the word is for fourth-level issues. You got primary, secondary, tertiary. I just and call them fourth level, quadrinary <laughs> issues. I do. We not start know. make. That's what theologians do. We can start making stuff up. So anyway, so then then there are those issues that are not uh, primary, but are so important that it's like we got to grab hold of this, and we don't we don't feel God's permission to bend on this one either. Yep. And so some of the people in our church have not come to our position on this and on on the um eternal security thing, right? So I, I tell people when they're coming in through our, our membership process or whatever, they're like, Well, I just disagree. I think you can lose your salvation. You're saying, Pastor, that you can't lose your salvation. I think you probably can. And I tell them, look, we may never end up agreeing on this and we can still hold fellowship, but I'm going to seek at every available opportunity to change your mind. Because <laughs> because I think it's a very important issue. It doesn't rise to the level of being primary where if you get this one wrong, you've lost the gospel. But it winds up being so practically important for our day to day lives and our relationship with God, our understanding of who he is, how he saves and what the salvation is that he's given us that I do feel that we have an obligation to explain and specify it on um, on, you know, a regular basis. So. We're going to get into eternal security today. And I just want to say by way of disclaimer, we're going to drive some of you guys nuts. We're going to drive you batty because podcasts are tough because you don't get to respond, right? <laughs> you got you to sit there and listen to Dustin and Ben just drone on and on about their theological distinctives. On this one, though, it's like if I, if you're not a once-saved, always-saved person, I want you to stick with us on this because I really hope to persuade you of our of our position. If I can't persuade you, if we can't persuade you of our position, then, you know, We still love you, but this one, this one is important for us to dig into because what it, because the implications of this are that when Jesus says, and when Hebrews 13 says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, you get to grab onto that on a deeper level than, uh, you know, and, and all of those types of promises, John chapter 10, that not one will be snatched from my hand or the father's hand or whatever. You get to grab onto those promises with. Without any commas, with periods at the end of it, and that's that's far more reassuring in the in the Christian life, and the Christian life has a lot of um, doubts and tensions and and things that rattle us around and and difficulties and things like that. So this is an important thing to be able to grab onto.
1: Yeah, I think I uh, <clears throat> yeah, and and I even like the I personally, I'm not sure I'm entirely comfortable with eternal security. I like the idea of the perseverance of the saints because because then it it does bring out it's not just that something's in a lockbox but there's also a, a continual growth of the saint towards that so it's not it's not an earning of the salvation or anything like that or a continual earning of the salvation but it is a, and I, this is what i what i talk about in our in our gospel growth cast. i said living things grow if you're alive you're growing and so i think that also answers some of those questions like well what if i what if I fall off or what if, you know, what if I completely, you know, I, I, you know, got my ticket on the Jesus train or
0: something. What did you say
1: earlier? Got my ticket on the J train. The J
0: train. Yeah. Well, there's,
1: you know, I I think, I think it was a Toby Mack talked about, I got my ticket. I got my ticket to ride on the J train. You know, it's like, okay yes and and, that, and unfortunately sometimes in turn, in 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 discussing eternal security or once I'd all saved we said yes did you pray a prayer well there you go yeah. that's your ticket
0: that's that Franklin Graham approach and I know a yeah. lot of our listeners love Franklin Graham I personally got some beef with him because he'll do that thing where he looks into the camera after you know after a sermon or one of his dad's sermons airs on TV or something and he says now if you want to respond to the gospel just pray this simple prayer with me and then he prays a sinner's prayer and then he looks at the camera and he goes there. Now you are secure forever. And it's like, dude, like, how about, how about we make some disciples? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. So we're, we're not talking about easy believism. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then, and, but then, and there's a beauty to that too, because again, if I'm, uh, I'm maybe I'm getting the cart before the horse, but you, you see this, there is a synergistic aspect of this. God is working in us. We are working out. There is this beautiful walk mm-hmm. that continues and And it is a direct result of this new life that is growing.
0: You get to say it with Jesus where he said, you know, my father is working until now and I myself am working. Yeah. We get to just claim that and say that, you know, ourselves and be like, yeah, God's working and I'm working and we're working on the same thing. Now I'm only working by the strength that he provides that he puts in me, but I'm not doing nothing, which is awesome. Right. So that's that synergistic kind of effort of, of salvation. And just to be clear on that, we're, when we come to Christ, we are saved unilaterally like God makes dead people live there's nothing that we do in order to make ourselves live we believe we trust and that's not even a work that's when we stop working that's when we're like okay I can't save myself I can't make myself alive I trust Jesus and his work on the cross and as proved by the resurrection and if that didn't work then I have no other options I have no hope other than Jesus that's faith right and so to make a dead person alive or to have somebody be born again or to regenerate a human soul that is completely 100% the work of God with no work on the human end what he does from that point so we would call that monergism right What, what he does from that point is what we call synergism where he empowers us to work and we spend the rest of our lives working with him, in him, under his sovereign hand, and things like that. And so he gives us the ability, well, this is Philippians 2, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we do end up, the Christians work very, very hard, right? The Christian life is is a struggle, it is labor, it's fun, you know, it's it's um, victory and defeat and, and all of these things, and we pour out a lot of calories, blood, sweat, and tears for Christ. And... He's working in, through, and around us the whole time. So mm-hmm. the the Christian life is one of synergistic effort, but salvation is not. The rest of the Christian life is,
1: yeah. And 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 so as we break this down, right, eternal, secu- eternal security, perseverance of the saints. Why would you say that this issue is important? You know, why are we, why are we, why are we even making a, a big deal to yeah. to spend the time in a podcast to to to, to, to delineate the position and and make it and make it an important discussion.
0: Yeah, I think... Um, now, I'm, I'm always pushing back against forming our theology around our experience, which we all do to a certain degree, but we do have to be careful about it. Um, but if I could appeal to my experience for a second, I'll build the doctrine from the Bible, but the the reason that this is important is because I've seen the damage that the devil can do to people or that our own, the tricks that our own mind can play on us when we don't have a a um when we don't have a baseline security to appeal to mm-hmm. and the question is the question that comes up in people's minds is how do i know that i'm saved well the bible's got to answer that question for us because what's our other source of information and either there's a final there's a final foundation where it's like you can know based on this that you were saved. We either have that or we don't. And if somebody's going to say that they can lose their salvation, then the questions from there just spread out in a million directions and we wind up without any solid handles. And then the question is, what assurance do we actually have from Christ? And the, the answers to those questions end you up in the doctrine of eternal security. So basically, I've seen a lot of people just get shredded by Satan or by their own doubts or whatever because they've got this idea that they can have their salvation and then lose it. And we'll take some of the we'll take a look at some of the passages that that lead them to that position and how they're understanding them and things like that. But at a certain point it's like what do you tell somebody that's worried that if they die in their sleep they're going to wake up in hell and there's nothing they can do about it? What do you tell them? And if either we have an eternal security position or we don't have anything to say in that point. So it's it's a pastoral move that I find to be um or it's a past, it's a, it's a doctrine of Pastoral importance. And when I say pastoral, I mean, everybody needs to be doing, everybody needs to be able to proclaim hope to people, not just pastors. But I've found it in my pastoral office very important.
1: Yeah, I would, yeah. I would agree with that. I think, especially as you're like, if you're, if you're even dealing with somebody who's stuck in some, some, some very deep seated sin mm-hmm. and they are just like, okay, do I just throw in the towel? Am I, have I, have I, have I committed, you know, the, the unforgivable sin, which we might even get into today, um, is, you know, and you're saying, no, 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 hold on a second here, right? No, and there may be, you know, are we seeing some ugly things come up? Yes, right? And when you rescue someone who's drowned in a pond, right, when all of a sudden they start coughing up stuff, right? So mm-hmm. so it's like, okay, yeah, we're seeing some pretty ugly stuff here, but you know what? You're breathing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Usually I'll, I'll either take them to, you know, Galatians, right? The things of the Spirit, Galatians 5 and 6, right? The, the things of the Spirit are at war with the things of the flesh. And if there's no war that's a problem right, right you know right. it's like well it's know. like i would
0: tell people if you're getting kicked in the face you know you're in the fight Yeah, right
1: exactly so yeah i definitely see this is very important especially in the pastoral realms just to, but but i think even just encouraging believer to believer yeah you know, you're you're encouraging somebody you're hopefully bringing them to the word I, I want you to to be able to say hey with confidence right have you trusted in christ okay great that's dealt with now we get to move forward you're a yeah. child when the you question know, yeah. comes up,
0: has God cast me away? What's your answer? And I think, and it, you know, this is going to drive some people nuts, I think the answer to that, has God cast me away? Okay, what's your answer? You either believe in eternal security, or we can talk about maybe what yeah. term is better for that. Yeah. You either believe in eternal security, or you don't have an answer to that question. Because then, like I said, a bunch more questions come up that the Bible provides no answers for, because yeah. you're looking for lines, right? Which, by the way, is the sign of legalistic tendencies, which we all have. It's like, I want a law so that I know that I've met the law that I can, you know, that I can rest in that. And so the, those questions sometimes are legalistic, but sometimes we just need basic assurance. And while we might look for it in a law, we actually find it in Christ. But the question is, can we find it finally to the point where that answers all of my questions? And I can just lean on that. And I, and I, I would contend, yes, we can.
1: Well, I would think, can I rest in what Christ has provided as far as my justification and, or do I need to add something to it? Cause I think in some ways that's where we, that's where we start to to teeter, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, Oh, I, I, I blew it. Uh, did I just take something away from what Christ has done? You know, and, and, and that might, that, that might be an argument for later on, but I, I think that that's also an assurance. It's like, am I resting there? It doesn't mean that I don't repent for my sin. That doesn't mean that I don't got cast you. it out. That doesn't mean that got I got to, that doesn't mean that I don't pull a, you know, second Corinthians, 135
0: uh, examine yeah. yourself to see if Christ is in you is that what you are yeah you're going? that kind of a thing yeah. or
1: even just to to, to when i the oh god 10 10-7, i think the godly sorrow oh yeah and the sorrow of man 710 i think and and you know i'm not i'm not going get this thing out of me that's different right yeah. and, I, and i think that in, in many ways for me the idea of of eternal security actually sh- or perseverance of the saints should fuel the desire for repentance and and change yeah and 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 i think that from a pastoral standpoint saying no you are this is who you are it's not going to be taken away this is all that god has done and then in your responses as worship i want to get i want to get whatever sin is in and struggling with me that's the fruit of the with. spirit yeah absolutely right?
0: yeah so there's let's get into some some content then there's okay. uh, there's a pastor in town who i'm not gonna name right now because um i'm about to tell you why he's dead wrong um he says look jesus has he gives continual warnings about not turning away so it's clear that you can turn away and that's his whole stance and he preaches eternal insecurity like yes you can lose your salvation watch it you know stay in step and and that's his whole case and and he doesn't he doesn't even deal with the the epistles and things like it drives me nuts but he just says look if jesus is warning you not to turn away And then we know that there's this warning in Hebrews, you know, a couple of them really, but most people are talking about Hebrews six, um, where it says, don't turn away. If he's warning you against something, that means it's possible to do it. So it's clear that you can turn away. And then his warning is, if you hear somebody saying once saved, always saved, then there's no, um, there's no motivation for obedience. And so that person is just trying to justify their own sin because they can't lose their salvation. And My pushback is that's a very easy thing to say from a pulpit when nobody gets to pop up and argue with you because that's a foolish thing to say. So let's break those two things down. Um, Jesus warns people not to turn away. Yeah. And Jesus was warning uh, people within the community of God that they might recreate, meaning Jewish people, that they might recreate the sins of Israel uh, wandering in the wilderness generation. Where... You've got a whole lot of people who are known by God's name and yet taking his name in vain, taking his name to no effect or, you know, claiming his name pointlessly because they didn't believe they didn't have faith. And so they were cut off from the land because they didn't have faith. Paul makes this case in Romans 11 very clearly. These branches were cut off from the tree of Israel because they didn't have faith. So they were associated with God's people, but they were not actually of the faith. They were not actually God's people. They were false brothers. And so when they turn away, when, when they turn away from that community, as demonstrated by when they turned away from Christ, the Messiah of that community, then um, then they were they were demonstrating that they were outside of the faith all along. While they looked like they were inside of the community, they were outside of the faith. And he's warning them and calling them to faith in Christ in order that that would not happen. And we see this in First John two nineteen. Right? They went out from us. They turned away because they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would have remained with us. And so people who are who are uh, in the faith, it ends a certain way. People who are not in the faith, it ends a certain way. And sometimes it takes a while to shake out and figure out who is actually saved and who isn't, but they're all mixed together in this community. That's one of the difficult things about being a pastor is that we know that there are people in, in our church that are not saved. And we don't know who they are, but we know that this happens because there are tares among the wheat. And so what he's doing is evangelizing the church, essentially. He's, he's calling out to the lost who live as though they are saved and saying, that's not going to save you. Don't turn away from what's right in front of you. Right? So that's one, that's my explanation. Yeah. But then he would say, no, that's not my explanation. My explanation would be, and I'm straw manning this or yeah, steel manning this. My explanation would be, he would say that you can't turn away from something you're not in to begin with. So that's what Jesus means. Okay. So we've got two counterclaims here. One is, He's talking to people who, are not, who do not have faith, and one is he's talking to people who do have faith and might lose it. Now, how can we tell which of those is true and which of those is biblical? Well, if you can lose your salvation, if Jesus is talking to people who are in the faith and might turn away and might lose it, and if that's who Hebrews is talking to, you've got a whole lot of biblical questions that come up, or you've got a whole lot of questions that come up that you need biblical answers to, and the Bible doesn't provide any answers because it doesn't allow for those questions to come up. So, for example... If you can lose your salvation, the question is how, right? What sin can you commit that is not covered by the blood of Christ? Maybe we'll talk about the unforgivable sin here in a second. But have you, how do you know when you've sinned too much? Where's the line? Where does Jesus or one of the apostles tell you where that line is? And this is where people get into that spiral of despair where it's like, have I gone too far? Have I committed too many sins? And they can't get any answers from the Bible because the Bible doesn't answer these questions, And so it's a much more locked down biblical case from the word of God to say, no, these warnings are not talking to people who have been born again. So like one of the questions that comes up is, if I've been born again, how could I be unborn? What's the biblical process where we see somebody being unborn? Is that in the Bible? The answer is no, it's not. If I have been regenerated, what is the process for spiritually re-dying? Where is that described in the Bible? It's not. If I have been made a new creation, where's the process where I get transformed back into an old creation? Is that in the Bible? No, it's not. And so we we end up in in this ocean with no edges with questions we can't answer, and that's why people get so unsettled by this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think even just in, in, in discussing the warnings, I mean, the author of Hebrews in chapter 2, he talks about, look, there were warnings. Yeah. Heed them. You know, they were, you know, they, if, if, if warnings uh, delivered by angels were heeded, right, how much more the warnings given, you know, by the Son of God. I'm in chapter 2, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so the, the idea of heeding a warning is not, um, I mean, gosh, the Lord gives so many warnings. And we, we give warnings to our kids, right? What do we what do we say? Don't stick your finger in that light socket.
0: Don't play in traffic.
1: Yeah. And and why do we do that? Right. And sometimes we even accompany that. If I see you running out the road, I'm going to paddle your bottom or something Mm -hmm. like that. Right now. Why do we do that? Well, because we don't want them to go play in traffic. Right. Mm -hmm. Warnings serve a very, very good and good thing in keeping people safe.
0: And yeah, it's, it's almost like the the warning against something is the guardrail. Yeah, right. And it's a so,
1: spiky thing you don't want you you don't want to run into. Yeah. So it has very spiky, ugly things.
0: So when you give warnings to speaking pastorally, and actually let me back up. Hebrews was written by I, I'm going to go ahead and say a pastor because it was somebody with a very pastoral heart, certainly. And there's a decent chance that this was a sermon that was preached because it reads, except for chapter thirteen, it reads much more like a public proclamation than a letter that was written. So let's just say that this is a pastor preaching a sermon, whether in person or on paper, doesn't matter. But He's talking to a church here. He's talking to a group of believers. Yeah. And you and I both know that when you stand up in front of people and you talk to a group of believers, you give warnings knowing that there are believers and unbelievers alike Absolutely. in the congregation. Now, that warning is going to have different effects on those two different types of people, right? The believers will receive the warnings, check themselves, and then we know what the result will be because they will respond as, as Christ enables them to respond, which is to respond in faith and repentance. That's the effect that warnings always have on believers not always immediately but but always and so we so warnings are a tool that God has given us in order to bring about a known result among believers but then the unbelievers receive the warning and we hope that they will respond in faith and repentance for the very first time we hope to I I mean scare them into the kingdom is the wrong term but it's like to, to show them what's out there and say, choose life, right? Yeah, and well, we hope that they do it.
1: And we see that, like, probably the most famous, the uh, famous Protestant sermon of the Great Awakening, right? Yep. Yeah. Centers yep. on hands and anger, God. Five thousand words of a six thousand word sermon. He didn't even get to all, finish it. I did know. He? All <laughs> about the about the terrors of
0: hell and the wrath of yep. God,
1: and yet he he does throw that last little bit. He says, you know, but God has thrown open the door through Christ. Oh, please run!
0: Yeah, but they didn't even hear that because they were <laughs> freaking out in the yeah. church. Like, I'm gonna die. I'm going to burn. Well, and and Edwards, man, that guy was so funny because we've we've got descriptions of what he sounded like and apparently he was not a fire and brimstone tone type of preacher. He was reading from a manuscript. He was like, what was he, like six, seven or something? This tall dude with a high voice and he was just reading. He's like, you are a pitiful spider suspended over the fires of hell by a tiny pitiful thread. And everybody's just like, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, um, speaking of uh, spiders hanging over the pit of hell, um, we... (laughs) We've got it's it's fine, it's fine, it doesn't matter. We we've got um uh I mean you can if you want, but it don't matter. We got a homeschool co-op going here where we're trying to save and evangelize these children. And so you may hear the signs or the the sounds of life coming out of the studio. Because living things grow (laughs) loudly. Yes, they do. (laughs) Sometimes. So if you hear crashing walls and screaming children and there's you know uh, blood and carnage all over the place, we just call it education. It's normal. Hebrews six Therefore, leaving the elementary uh, teaching about Christ, let us press on toward maturity, not laying a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, of teaching about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case of uh, those once having been enlightened and having tasted the heavenly gift and having become partakers of the Holy Spirit, two pages instead of one, and having tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and having fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. All right, that sounds... Like we're talking about losing salvation, it's
1: pretty terrifying.
0: Yeah, really. And so when when you read that in isolation, you say, "Wait a second! They've tasted the heavenly fruit. They've they've tasted the power of the Holy Spirit. They once were repentant by some measure, and it's impossible to restore them again to repentance because they've trampled under foot underfoot, underfoot the, the blood of the cross. They crucify again to themselves, um, Christ Jesus." What what else are we talking about except losing salvation here? And the answer is. If, again, if, if you read that in isolation, that's exactly what it sounds like. But when you back up and you get the whole context of the book of Hebrews, the warnings are again and again against, um, recreating the sins of the wilderness generation, right? So the wilderness generation was delivered from Egypt through the Red Sea, which is a type of salvation. I mean, that is a precursor to Christ taking us out of slavery and into being a slave of Christ, which is really the definition of freedom. That's a precursor to going out of the land of evil and paganism and into the the promised land of God. I mean, it's like that is the salvation event of the Old Testament. And he's saying people participated in it and then they fell away for lack of faith. How do you get fed manna every single day miraculously and sometimes quail when you, you know, whine about it? How do you get clothes that don't wear out for decades and yet somehow you look at God in unbelief? How does that even work? What is the darkness of the human heart that we're dealing with that makes that possible? But he's saying here, not only is it possible, it's historically normal. And I don't want you guys to participate in that. Don't fall away. So I would say again he's not talking about people here who believe, he's talking about people here who think they believe because they've participated in the community of believers and they haven't. Yeah.
1: It's almost like that hardening of the heart. You almost you know go to you go to like Exodus, right? Pharaoh saw all of these plagues. And yet, for whatever reason, you know, not only did not only did you know quote, God guard, did God harden his heart, but he sat there and looked at it too, and he hardened his heart. It's it's this uh,
0: synergistic hardening. Oh my
1: gosh! Right. But you sit there going, man, they, they, you know, you're you're going toe to toe with a deity that can make darkness so thick that you can't <laughs> do anything. You're you're going toe to toe with a deity that can turn your water sources into
0: blood, and he can kill all of your firstborn sons with a word. Yeah. Right, and you're still flipping them yeah. off,
1: and then and then you send his people over. They decide to go back and try and and try and get them back when he's the one that's been guarding them the entire time, and he literally wipes out your entire army instantly, instantly. Whether it's in a, in a river or a mud puddle, they're dead. You know, yeah. and you're just like the the, the 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 darkness of the human heart, and the and the the. You know, in some ways, that's almost like the the, the fool, right? Stupid on purpose. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm going up against. I know it's stupid,
0: but I'm still doing it. Yeah. Well, and and that's a that's a good point about just the the depth of sin and depravity, because the the question comes up, and this is admittedly more of a philosophical point than you know a direct quotation from scripture. But when you look at what sin actually is and how dark it is and how stubborn it is, when God saves you from that then um, you know because we underestimate our own sin and when God saves you from that you you turn back and you look with a biblical perspective on what your sin actually is and you think man if I if I could lose my salvation I would have already because that is what sin is and when God when, when God overwhelmingly conquers and turns us into more than conquerors or turns us into overwhelming conquerors then he's talking about conquering even that and the question comes up what What sin is greater than that forgiveness? And so then, again, we're asking a question that the Bible gives no answer to. And we can talk about the unforgivable sin here in a second. Maybe this is a good segue to it. But there's, you know, what what sin did Jesus not die in order to forgive? Or having once been saved, what sin would outdo the blood of the cross? And I just don't, there is no biblical answer for that.
1: Well, I mean, you'd see, I, I would even just go to Romans like right 8.38, right? For I'm sure that, you neither know, death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love which uh, love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's speaking to believers there. He's speaking of, in Romans 8, he's, ta- he's enumerating all of the things that we have as believers in Christ, and he's saying nothing can separate us. Not, no, neither things in the past or in the present, or in the future, uh, th- those would be my sins. <laughs> right, <laughs> You know, can't separate me
0: right from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so there is such a thing as the unforgivable sin. That is true. Now, we have dealt with this on another podcast episode, and so I'm going to outline this in summary form, but let me just kind of break down what the unforgivable sin is. The unforgivable sin, by definition, is one that cannot be committed by somebody who is born again. And the reason for that is pretty simple, because... Um, it is something that comes from a devil-ruled heart, and when somebody has been freed from Egypt, the devil does not rule them anymore, right? They're they are in the, the promised land. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So the Bible talks about the unforgivable sin in a couple of different ways. Different authors have different terminology for it. So, um, you know, Jesus says in, like, uh, Matthew 12 and in Mark 3 or 6, one of those two, um, he says, look, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that sin will not be forgiven. Well, what, the, the context in which that was spoken was that they were looking at Jesus, um, do the works of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then saying, we don't want him. They were attributing his works to the, to the power of the devil or whatever. They, they had all their excuses, and people always have their excuses why they don't want to accept the work of Christ. But they were saying, we don't want you, kill him. Okay, so that was, he said, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which will not be forgiven. In, um,. First uh, John 5, you get this hint that there is a sin that leads to death that we, we don't even need to bother praying for somebody who is doing that. And he doesn't even say what that sin is. So the question is, what's the sin unto death? What is this thing, and have I committed it? Well, he calls it the sin that leads to death, or the sin unto death, depending on the translation you're reading. And Jesus calls it the sin which will not be forgiven, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Then the author of Hebrews comes in and says, turning away from the community of the faithful, and not having faith, and rejecting the faith that you have tasted the goodness of, that is impossible to restore you to repentance. So we've got three different biblical authors here. I'm counting Jesus as one of them, even though it was written down by Matthew and Mark. We've got three different biblical speakers with three different vocabularies talking about the same thing. Okay? Um, if uh, Actually, Paul in 2 Timothy 1, too, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy 1, also. He says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. Now, he says we, right? If, if we, the community of believers, deny him, he will deny us. And yet, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. himself. So, what is what does all of that mean, right? If we're faithless, then we're fine, we're secure, but if I mean, not fine, we need to repent. If we're faithless, we're secure in Christ, but if we deny him, then he will deny us. So, we're talking about the same thing. Somebody in the community of believers who rejects the, so great a salvation, and how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation according to hebrews 2 or 3 i think it's 2 so there's we're talking about the same thing with a lot of different vocabularies here right being uh let me just boil it down to modern day uh uh, parlance going to church and not being a believer right now this brings up an interesting question where's the line because that's a lot of people's story right i was raised in church but then i didn't come to christ until i was 45 whatever so we need to take into account here the patience of god and the fact that we don't get to to chart out the timeline of somebody's salvation and look at him and say oh you you attend church regularly but you don't affirm the gospel therefore you cannot be restored to repentance and you're Mm -hmm. going to burn in hell forever god may be doing a long work here
1: well and he did that with peter right come on Peter trucked around with jesus for three years denied him at denied him (laughs) you know called down curses upon himself and and yet what's what does jesus do Jesus is the one that initiates that and that restoration process. In a detailed way, right? Yeah. Peter
0: denies him three times. Jesus restores him three times. Times. Yeah, and Beautiful. every
1: time he says, "What do you, what do you do? go care for my sheep? Yep, care for my people." He restores him and still gives him a purpose. He doesn't say, "Okay, yep. now you get to occupy the back of the bus." No, I still want you to drive the bus. Yep, here it is. He
0: saves him from something and he saves him unto Amen. something, right? Yeah.
1: And you think about, like, I think about Peter, reflect, maybe even reflecting on that is the patience of God mm-hmm. that that He is patient towards you at the very end of, uh, I believe it's First Peter chapter five. He's yeah. got His patience towards you. You know? that, that, not wanting to, any should perish. Three, yeah, yeah. So it yeah, all
0: should come to repentance. Yeah, yeah. So the the question then becomes one of terminology. How yep. how do we describe yeah. so great and so secure a salvation? Yeah. I'm hey, on that. Ahead, I it. was just
1: thinking maybe we should talk about um, what are some bad, you know, either articulations Ooh. or terminology that you, that what maybe we've learned, but that really kind of set. That that really are self defeating.
0: Like cheap internet arguments for, yes, for, yeah, not, losing arguments your salvation. for not losing yeah. your salvation. Dude, one that I cannot stand. And I oh, I'm stepping on some toes here, because this is a popular one. If you didn't do anything to gain it, you can't do anything to lose it. Oh it's a fine logical statement, I guess, but there's there's nothing in the Bible that says that. So like the, the only the only counter argument to that needs to be says who? Right. Yeah. Hey, if you didn't do anything to earn your salvation, you can't do anything to lose yeah. it. How do you know? Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> there's nothing to appeal to. So let's just stop with that one. It's yeah. it's a bumper sticker slogan with no basis. Yeah,
1: I think, you know, and the other ones that, that I've 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 heard of, or at least bad articulations of it is, you know, yeah, we want you know, I will. Um, I don't know if I must step on your toes or not, but the idea of just saying, you know, <laughs> once they always said, did you pray
0: the prayer? Mm hmm. Did you mean it? Okay, so I'll, I'll parse that out. Yeah, the once saved, always saved thing, totally down with it. Yeah, the pray and the prayer thing, I will wail on that whole thing all day. Yes, long. Yes,
1: that, that's yeah. what I mean. It's like we're equating a, we're equating a prayed prayer,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Which which you know, I mean, we talk about jailhouse conversions, all this kind of stuff, right? Where it's like some of those are genuine, yep. right? People confronted with their sin and confronted with with the gospel, and they, I love
0: the deathbed conversion, totally,
1: absolutely, and I would rest in that, right? Yep, um, but. But in the but for someone to just say, well, yeah, I prayed a prayer and then I can live like the devil, yeah. right? I mean, Romans six would say something completely. They didn't. Yeah, about Roman
0: Romans six is going to ninja kick you in the face on that one. <laughs> the 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 biggest perpetrator, I think, of this is some of the ways that evangelicals have done vacation Bible school. Agreed, right, dude? Yes. Okay, so there was a church in town. By the way, by the way, with that same pastor who I'm not going to name here, although it's taking all of my self control not to drop dime on him right now. But he's got the, he's not wrong about the gospel, so I'm not going to name him. But he's wrong about most of the applications of it, and he hurts people by doing stuff like this. So anyway, somebody somebody comes into my office. There there are a couple of young kids in the church, and they were like, uh, "Hey, you know, we we got saved today," and I'm like, "Man, that's great! What happened?" They were like, "Oh, we were at Vacation Bible School out there, and and we uh, we prayed the prayer," and I'm like, "All right, cool. Let's let's dig into it." They said we want to get baptized. I'm like, "All right, let me ask you some questions," and I'm like, "All right, so tell me, you know." whatever, in kid language, I asked them about the gospel. They had no clue. And their parents and their grandparents were all excited. Oh, they're Christians. Isn't this wonderful? And they were like seven and nine or something like that. And so I'm like, all right, well, you know, tell me what, you know, why you felt like you needed to be saved by Jesus. And they were like, I don't know. And well, tell me, you know, what sin is. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's like, uh, you know, doing bad stuff, bad stuff, like accident when I accidentally mess up, you know, stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, well, what did Jesus do uh, for you? Well, he forgave me. Well, was there anything about a cross? Like, I'm just digging. And and they were like, "Uh, I think I heard about a cross one time. Anyway, they had no clue. This is, you know, an hour after their supposed conversion. And I'm like, why did you pray that prayer? And they said, well, they told us that if we wanted to be saved, we could come up on stage and pray a prayer with them. And then they gave us a cupcake. And I was like, and I really wanted that cupcake. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you give a kid a cupcake and tell him, "Hey, I'm going to pray with you right now," and you just say "Amen" at the end of this, and then I'll give you a cupcake. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah. So I said, "Okay, would you guys excuse us for a second, please?" And I talked to the parents, the grandparents, and uh, I was like, uh, "They're not ready for baptism yet." Now I'll go ahead and disciple them. Here's what I'm going to give you guys some, you know, some materials you can disciple them. But I'm going to go make a phone call, and I called that pastor. Of course, I didn't get through because he's too important to talk to humans. So. uh, you know, I got one of his secretaries and I laid out the whole thing and I said, this is spiritual abuse and I want to talk to the pastor about it. I'm setting an appointment. When is he open? And they said, he's not. <laughs> and mm. I was like, well, I will be there in a half an hour. Open him. And uh, I got there and I waited for about an hour and they were like, he doesn't want to talk to you. And I'm like, yeah, no kidding. So anyway, it didn't go well. I actually did end up talking to him years later about a different situation where he had hurt a whole bunch of other people and it was just, you know, problem after problem after problem. And what was happening here, I'm going somewhere with this story. What was happening here was that salvation was, was given away cheaply on false premises, such as at the VBS. And then he was telling people that you can lose it if you're not careful. And it's like the combination of those two things. Yeah. You know, you give them a deficient salvation or a de- deficient gospel message to begin with, and then you tell them they're on probation if if they do something yeah. wrong. It's like, what do you expect is going to happen? There's total despair that happens yeah, there's from fearfulness here. and everything like that. Yeah, so, and so it's just a setup for abuse, yeah. is what it was.
1: Well, I mean, and you think about it, and, 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 and like how you mentioned, like even in our in our current evangelical milieu. As it is. Milieu yeah. nice word. We're, I know. I'm I'm yeah. just full of, of all kinds of cool words today. But um you, you, you get this, you know, I'm at a Christian concert, you pray this prayer, yeah. you come forward and, and 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 sometimes we don't even lay out the fact that no, we're actually signing on to a transfer of kingdoms here. Yep. I and, and that and that's you know, I love um Matthias Media has this great little children's track called Who Will Be King. Mm. And so You're defecting. What, i that's that's the way it is you're yeah. De- yeah you're not only are you defecting, but you're essentially saying, no, I am now transferring the right the, the i'm I'm now transferring my own personal right of decision making to to a uh, you know a body of work called the Bible, a, a a a Jewish carpenter who now is alive and sitting at the right hand of God the Father mm-hmm. Almighty, he gets to tell me what to do. Yeah, he gets Jesus to tell gets me, to tell me no. Yeah, he gets to say okay. He gets to tell me who I get to sleep with. He gets to tell me what kind of business practices I conduct. He gets to tell me you know what how I how my, my own personal ethics. He gets to tell me how I raise my kids. All of that stuff, and so it's not just okay. We'll turn over and receive this salvation. Yes, that is true, mm-hmm. but there's there's another side to that coin. It's like, yeah, and I'm also receiving a new kingdom. I yep. have been brought into a new kingdom. I'm sure that some of our friends who are desperate to get over get over the border in the south, they're desperate to get in. But if they get in, when they have citizens, when their citizenship has been transferred there's now rules that yeah. are different than the country from which they came.
0: Right, and it's only fair to tell people that up front. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so and now what I'm not saying, let's talk about the dangers of, of both of these these camps. What I'm not saying is that if um, if you don't believe in eternal security, then it's because you want to spiritually abuse people. That's where this pastor took it. That is a danger that is left open to that. Yeah. The counter danger is if you're an eternal security guy, then, yeah, you could... You could um, Neglect to be careful to yeah. tell people that obedience is yeah. is necessary, so that it yeah. can be abused on either side.
1: Yeah. And I really appreciate, for example, uh, Thomas Schreiner when he comes to these passages, he's very very kind towards people who he does not agree with. Yeah. He says, "Look, these are these are." These passages and people, when they interpret passages like from Hebrews and stuff like that, they're not going outside of the Bible. In right. other words, they're not. They're, they're that that these are things which we can disagree upon, like what you have mentioned. These are, you know, secondary issues in the sense of are people denying the gospel, right? Right, and that's. And and but but he, is very very kind, and he says, "Look, people who take the opposite position on this, they're still arriving at it from Scripture. So they're yeah. not. So you now I may disagree with their interpretation or how they're putting all that stuff together, but they're not like they're not bringing a secondary book or a,
0: right. a new a new it's, philosophy. It's important. It, it is massively important, and the practical implications of it are huge. Yes. And we need to not burn people at the stake. Yes. Yeah.
1: That's not a, something I would burn somebody at the stake for.
0: No. And I'm happy to burn somebody at the stake if necessary. Yeah. I, I was born 500 years too. Too late, man. I, <laughs> I want I want a torch, I want a stake, but I you just don't get yeah. to do it over this issue. You know? Yeah. Okay, so then the terminology side of things, you mentioned that eternal security is maybe not your preferred way of talking about this. Mm-hmm. You would go with perseverance of the saints. Yeah. I think we would both affir- affirm the doctrine behind both of those. Certainly. I would actually lean the opposite direction. I the, the perseverance of the saints thing, I'm I'm a little more hesitant with that terminology, but I really like your reasoning behind leaning towards it. So lay that out for us again.
1: Well, I just like the idea that living things grow. Mm-hmm. right and I think that's one of the reasons like for example even the James and, and my, my man Luther thought that it was a epistle of straw he's like saying hey if you're alive in Christ there are certain things that are going to be true of you if you're rich you're not gonna you're, you're if you're an employer you're not gonna hold back your your employees wages you know you're you're the, the if you have the disease you're gonna manifest the symptoms as mm-hmm. it were right so if I have COVID I'm gonna lose my smell and I'm going to you know have a fever and the CDC is gonna go crazy on me right that's a res- of what has happened and thanksgiving
0: of 2020 it took everything inside of me not to uh go to like family dinner and be like this uh this food doesn't really have a taste is there is there does anybody else realize that this food doesn't have a taste honey why didn't you put some flavor in this food and just watch everybody freak out and like run out and be like come
1: in but I, but I like the idea of of even of of that perseverance of the saints, like saving faith, because we, you know, it, it's a persevering faith. You will persevere to the end. Now, that doesn't mean that I, that doesn't mean that there's not dips and valleys, and we talk about that in our gospel growth with when we talk about progressive sanctification. But it, I think one of the the litmus tests of, and I want to be really careful because I don't want to set down some legalism. But again, living things grow. Saints yeah. will persevere
0: over the course of you know, a long time with a big sample size, the work of God in somebody yes. yields predictable results. Yeah. I mean, that's Galatians 5 and the fruit of the spirit. Exactly. That's the whole book of 1 John, right? This yeah. is what it looks like, you know, tracked over, over time. But um, yeah, the, the reason that I, I tend to shy away, I got two, two reasons, neither of them are very important. Two reasons to shy away from that terminology of perseverance of the saints. And one is just because um, it, is, it is in reference to uh, our work, and which doesn't make it untrue it just it's it's more like um you know i think it's easier to communicate with with that terminology wow. yeah yeah it, it okay, makes it yeah. it I'm makes with it, you. it easier to communicate with that terminology like here's what you must do if you are a christian which is true right you must persevere like do it suffer with christ yeah 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 but i think that's maybe a better second point than a than a primary point um and like a, a doctrine or an imperative to name um, it. It's it's better. It would be better, in my view, not to to summarize our doctrine with an imperative towards humans. I,
1: I don't think I'm necessarily saying that's an imperative. I'm saying you know, cause I because I, I don't I don't know if I don't know if uh, I don't know if that even even the the original originators of the tulip doctrines would say perseverance of the saints is an imperative. I think he's saying that no, the saints will persevere. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. But I'm, so I, and, and that's imper- true. Yeah.
0: But. But how does how does that come across? How do I know I'm saved? You will X, Y, and Z. You will persevere, yeah. which is true. But, but
1: I don't know if that will is a, is is necessarily um, an antecedent to that. I think it's. I, I think that that again, just defending my best Calvinist brothers is that is that 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 is a. Um, uh, I won't want to say an heiress verb, but but the, but the concept of. A, an, a a a one time event that has ongoing ramifications in the future. That's
0: Eris, but it's not it's not even yeah. listed there as a verb, right? It's know, listed as a noun. Yeah. It's like perseverance, right? Which yeah. I get, which is why I'm saying it's not incorrect. Yeah. I'm just saying how do th- this is all communication tool. But I
1: do like I I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it, yeah. it's
0: a, it's a communication tool, and the, what that communicates to people is human action. And so I'm like, okay, maybe not the best starting point. Yeah. And so when I say something like eternal security. I'm talking. I'm, I'm more in reference to John 10, where actually, let me just read. Ooh, this. Bust out that. I, I love this one. We, you love it. I love it. Woo. John 10, 27 to 29, I think mm. it is, in the LSB, which I'm having a lot of fun oh, in right oh, now. Oh yes. Right. Um. Yeah. I give, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. Ever, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Right? So there's Oh yeah. Twenty seven. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I I tend to lean more towards a um uh towards calling this doctrine by a name that refers to the work of Christ rather than the eventual and certain work. Of the believer in Christ, but that's all. It's, yeah, it's just it's just a matter of um, you know, not laying a, a burden on somebody and saying you must persevere. The other problem that I run into in explaining our position on this is that people say, "Well, then you don't know until you're dead," because it because when you talk about perseverance, then that's a reference to the end. You will persevere to the end, and then, which is not without biblical precedent, right? In, in Revelation, it keeps saying, "He who perseveres to the end." will be saved. Well, how do you know if you're saved? Will you persevere to the end? Which would seem to offer us no assurance for the here and now.
1: Yeah. Well but I think that like again, going back to my my man Peter here, right, he says bless he he's in, in his in first Peter chapter one, verses three and following he says, yes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, right? That's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a actual event, the resurrection we're born again into a hope that is from that to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Here's the part kept in heaven, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded for a faith, guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There's, there's an awful lot of him doing oh, an awful lot of things. Get some. And saying, uh, This is, yeah, so secure? Absolutely. Yeah, Eternally? Right. Sure. Darn 100%. Right. Yeah. Perseverance?
0: And, without a doubt. Yeah. Right? But,
1: but you have that. No, 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 no! This is now guarded by God. That's the thing I think is so interesting. And I kept in heaven. Who dwells in heaven? God does. God does, right? <laughs> and and what what is He doing here? He's got God. Who by God's power are mm-hmm. being guarded? I don't know but, any other power that might be able to. You yeah, know, I love the permanence of that. No one can snatch them from God's hand. No one can snatch them from my hand. And it's
0: unfading. It's undefiled. Yes, all this by God's power. All yeah. right. Well, I propose we do this. I propose that I just read a few passages to give people some assurance. Sound good?
1: I'm good. Listen, people. You may hear me amen a few times. L- l-
0: listen up, homies. John 6, 38 to 40. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I will lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will... Raise him up on the last day. Might raise him up on the last day? No, sir. Will raise Amen. him up on the last day. I'll read again, John 10, 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. How often will they perish? Never. When will they perish? Never. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able mm-hmm. to snatch them out of my Father's mm-hmm. hand. Mm-hmm. What you referred to, Romans 8, 35 to 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in any other created thing will be able. I just read the same line twice. None of that will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lastly, I can't think of a better way to end this in First Peter one three to five, like you just said. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Have you trusted in Christ is what I'm asking you. The person in the work of Christ, he is God. He is the Savior. He alone can save, and no one comes to the Father but through him. He gave his life on a cross to fulfill all sorts of prophecy and to pay the, the penalty for sin that we deserve. He didn't deserve it. He didn't have any sin. He died for us instead, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God, and he did it once for all, and it worked. And this gift of eternal life that he purchased for us with his earthly death is given to you and is held secure in heaven waiting for you and is doled out to you at the moment that you believe you have eternal life and you will live in that eternal life in an increasing way, showing fruit more and more and more throughout your life. And then when you die and your body enters the grave, your soul just continues on through it. You get your resurrection body and you get to live forever in the original intention of mankind, restored, redeemed, and totally secure even as we are now before we can fully experience it mm.
1: and with that and then you're going to hear well done thou good and
0: faithful son oh come on well done can you imagine the life that you and I have lived and hearing well done for this how can god possibly say that
1: because of christ yeah that's that's nuts that's it.
0: That's yeah, crazy. Because the only works he's counting are the ones that he did through. It's like, it's like taking a test where you only get credit for the right answers. Oh, <laughs> You so get 100%. Have, I'm so glad I have Jesus' report card. I love it. I love it. Guys, listen. Jesus deserves disciples. Go be one. Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry
1: of grace and truth community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love Him because He first loved us.